Today we've got Luca Mezzalira here. Luca is VP of Architecture at DAZN. DAZN are a sports streaming service and what they try and do is revolutionize the way in which us guys, everyone globally, watch sports. So what we're trying to do is get a little bit more understanding of what happens under the hood, why the company have decided to do things, and why Luca, his team, product and engineering, have done things the way that we've done. So this is Luca. Nice to meet you. Luca is VP of Architecture, like I've said. Can you kick us off and just tell us a little bit about you, your journey, why you're here, yeah. and talk to us about DAZN at the moment? Yeah, okay, uh, that's great. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, that's great. No problem. Uh, it's a pleasure starting this uh, adventure. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, my name is Luca. Uh, I'm, I started in the zone four years ago. So basically at the beginning uh, of this journey. Uh, first of all, I was working for a third party company. Then I moved to, to, to the zone. Okay. Um, it was uh, since the beginning an interesting journey because uh, the uh, aim was delivering Quite a few TV platforms, set box console, mobile, and web application, integrating with uh, six different uh, third-party companies that we never worked before yep. in uh, 14 months. Okay. Uh, it was really, really a challenge because, as you can imagine, uh, in this short amount of time, being able to uh, hit that deadline was really challenging. Okay. Um, we were able to do that, and uh, it's basically when the, the success of the zone started. Okay. Uh, we started uh, in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, then uh, Japan, uh, and then slowly but steadily we started to uh, get traction, having a lot of users that were coming to our platform. And now the fact that we are uh, doing probably the most challenging thing in the OTT space that is uh, streaming live events okay. uh, with uh, millions of users uh, all over the world is becoming probably one of the most interesting things that I've done in my career. Okay. Just focusing on a couple of points that you've mentioned in there, challenging and live streaming, tell us what elements come together to make that really challenging. I think the, the main issue there is uh, when uh, you are at the beginning of the Champions League final, okay, 10 minutes before the, the event that uh, kicks off, you have like millions of users that are hitting your APIs yep. and, and your platform. And, uh, and that is uh, not something that is happening me and, very often. Me and him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not happening very often in uh, other um, projects that I work for. Okay. Um, I, I really love this thing because uh, it, push you to think about creative solutions. Obviously, uh, uh, we, we found in, in, uh, in the last few years that sometimes certain services that are available in AWS yeah. would, won't be able to scale at the piece that we need. Okay. So we need to find different ways to, to do things or even create our own solution. Okay. Uh, and, and the scalability of this platform, not only on, in, in the technical terms, so hardware and cloud and so on, yeah. but also on, uh, if you want, on, on the people side of things so mm -hmm. moving from 30 50 people where we were back in uh, um, 2015 yeah. to over 3000 now in 2019 yeah it's it's just insane there are some problems that you're not facing with a massive growth like that in other companies okay. there's a massive growth of moving uh, from uh, i was like the second uh, tech person in the, in the tech department at the wow. beginning. Okay. Uh, now we are over 350 and uh, it's just growing, growing, growing. 
It's not happening every time uh, in your life. And if you think, uh, let's say, what we have achieved so far, it's just uh, a great journey. Complicated, and you learn a lot, and you work on outside your comfort zone for a while. Yeah. But uh, if you're up to the challenge, it's definitely the place to be. Okay. Talk to us about some of the changes from being the second tech person to now a 3,000 plus company. Talk to us about the evolution of the architecture Mm -hmm. and how a business scaling at that capacity has to evolve and what do they need to consider? Yeah, Uh, sure. So I'm a strong believer on creating business values uh, in general. When we started the first implementation, uh, obviously we had to uh, go on a path that was crystal and clear and we know that we could deliver. Uh, so we, we went with uh, two clear architecture. One was a monolith written in C-sharp uh, running on AWS oh, wow. okay. um, that could scale horizontally without many problems. The second one was uh, a single page application on front end that could be where we could reuse part of the code between uh, TV, devi- TV devices uh, and uh, um, web and mobile. Fine. Uh, mobile was a hybrid application because yep. uh, we didn't have uh, enough time to deliver everything. We didn't have the capacity also for delivering everything uh, with native code. Yeah. Uh, so at the beginning, we started in this way uh, and we hit the target we, we had to. Then when uh, I moved to the zone, the first thing that I've done is uh, um, re-evaluating certain decisions because obviously we saw a lot of people uh, downloading our application and therefore was uh, interesting to provide a, a better experience there. So instead of a hybrid application, um, we decided to go with uh, with a native one. Yeah. Uh, so we built up two teams, one for Android and one for iOS. Uh, the iOS one is working with Swift, the other okay. one with Kotlin. And they just smash it and they did a great job. We won several prizes in the last nice. three years. Okay. Uh, and uh, we were in the in the keynotes uh, of uh, Apple and uh, Google for oh, the seriously? last two years. Okay. Yeah. That is a great achievement. Unbelievable. Um, then we moved on a couple of TV devices, bespoke devices we call, like uh, Apple TV and Roku. Yeah. Uh, and also there, uh, we decided to create a custom build for that. But when we moved to the, uh, let's say, um, big elephant in the room that was the backend and front and we decided to approach with on the backend uh, with microservices yeah because we knew that scaling could have been a problem Fine. for us and we found those problems several okay. times uh and challenges around that so we decided to go with, uh, with microservices mainly for for scaling okay. so we could uh scale part of the system the critical part as we call uh, in, in a way that it was needed, but then uh, maybe being more relaxed in other part of, of the system and maybe allow them to, to face gracefully, Fine. to fail gracefully. Uh, on um, on the front end, uh, it was a challenge because currently uh, there weren't any pattern that would allow us to scale at the piece that the, uh, we would like to uh, and having, uh, let's say, a code base, a unique code base that was distributed across multiple dev center like yeah. we have. And that was a real challenge. I was quite puzzled on the way how we could move forward. Uh, at the beginning, we were keen to use the first um, code base that we, we have written. Uh, but then suddenly we realized if we start to have, uh, currently we have like quite few engineers in the same room that yeah. are working on this code base. But if you start to distribute the team, if you start to have, uh, let's say, uh, certain areas of the business that was moving to a piece, uh, to a certain piece and another in another uh, way, that could have been a problem. Okay. Um, so 
the, the, the challenge for me was figuring out a way that would allow us to scale, maintain the, the, uh, the speed of, the, of delivery that we were used to, yeah. but at the same time, uh, not creating too many constraints uh, across uh, dev centers. Is this, is this your point of localization that you have referred to on your medium, or am I jumping the gun? Uh, you're a bit jumping ahead, but uh, we're arriving there. Good. Uh, so Great. the idea that we had uh, was uh, uh, amplify the uh, principles behind microservices that okay. are a well-known pattern uh, around uh, uh, autonomous decisions uh, yeah. and uh, uh, independent modules. The fact that you can independently deploy and uh, manage a specific microservice uh, to the front end. Yeah. Now uh, there. If you see the, let's say, the, the front-end community, um, there are several implementation uh, that we call micro-front-ends, like we, we call right now. Um, some of them are relying on the fact that we are uh, assembling components uh, on the server and then uh, server serving the final page uh, to the user. Okay. Uh, we took a different direction. We started, uh, instead of solving a technical problem, solving a, a business problem, Good. working okay. with uh, domain-driven design. Okay. So domain-driven design is a, a practice that will, is very well known and uh, used on, on, if you think about backend architecture, in order yeah. to identify the domain, understand how those are working together, understand how what are the events that are, um, let's say, um, entering and, and, uh, and getting out from a specific domain, uh, and so on. Okay. Um, and this is not really solving a technical thing. So I thought, okay, okay if we can apply DDD on backend, we could also find a way to apply on the front end. Fine. And that's what we have done. So okay. basically, we took our application based on all the uh, data that we uh, fetched from Google Analytics. Yeah. Uh, we were able to understand how our, how our users were interacting with the application and create uh, a, a segmentation of our application in uh, different domains. Okay. So we decide to go with the. So it's almost reverse engineering as such. Uh, sort of. Uh, the, the 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 reality is we were um, very conscious on how our users were um, interacting with our application, okay. and we had the solid uh, observability around uh, the, pre the the first version of the application. Yeah. Um, so at that stage. We thought, okay, so if we have these all those information, let's use them. Yeah, uh, okay. and we identify uh, basically uh, some areas of our uh, application that could be uh, critical. Like, for instance, um, the authorization bit Fine. is one part, and we know that when the user is authorized uh, and authenticated, we don't need to have that code anymore. So okay. we decide to what to have basically uh, uh, to slice our application. Uh, vertically more than horizontally yeah. and uh, divide uh, in different uh, domains that are represented, technically speaking, to single page applications or a normal single page. Okay. Uh, and that uh, is how we are delivered the 2.0 uh, version of the zone. There is another plus of this approach Fine. Uh, that is around applying another well-known pattern of microservices, the, the strangler pattern. Okay. Um, basically, is allowing to uh, replace uh, an existing monolith slowly yep. but steady. Okay. So you just create incremental value for the business. You take an API, you just replace that part, and slowly but steady, you are strangling the, the old monolith. Okay. And we did exactly the same thing on the front end. Okay. I love it. What sort of challenges could a business have in a sense where if they're not at your scale, 
and they let's just say they start to embark on this journey, what would you suggest to the people watching this that you need to look out for? Any failures that you've learned from, mm. what would you look out for and recommend? These are the signs that you should be careful of. Um, you are talking mainly on uh, um, for the micro front ends implementation, or exactly okay. micro front ends. So there, I think first and foremost, I don't think micro front ends is uh, a, an architectural pattern that you would use for any project. Fine, you would use only in certain cases, and one case could be um, mainly the, the, the problem we are trying to solve here. So the fact that you have distributed teams working on a product that has to evolve. Uh, in, independently if you want and uh, you want the risk also the fact that a specific feature is going live um, and uh, and you don't have to retest the entire application just to test what you need to to deploy um, but I think a large organization mid-sized organization Fine. that could be definitely a pattern particularly if you have a product okay um, there are other ways that uh, definitely a, a single page application or server-side rendering application are still a super valid option and I still pick them uh, if needed um, but in the case of the zone I, I thought that was needed uh, something completely different okay uh, for st two years uh, ago when I started to think about this it wasn't even called microphone tense there wasn't a name yeah uh, and that was the main challenge trying to sell something to the business was not there technically speaking you don't have any re documentation or reference for this Fine. nowadays is way easier nowadays okay. you can uh, there are some uh, uh, nice Framework that are currently uh, used uh, by uh, people embracing uh, microfrontends. For instance, there is uh, on top of my head, I remember a single SPA uh, that is developed by a team in US, if I remember well. Yeah. Uh, pretty nice. It's a, a, an app shell that is allowing you to embed different uh, framework and application in single page applications. Okay. So this is just basically doing the orchestration of this single page application and yeah. provide a, a bit of uh, life cycle for your application, and that's it. Uh, another one that I discovered recently is uh, called Luigi. Okay. Is uh, created by uh, SAP. Uh, yeah. And uh, for enterprise application, okay. they created this uh, framework that is um, that can work with Angular, with Vue, and with uh, uh, I think it's called uh, SAP UI or something okay. like that. Okay. Um, and that that is another one. But I see currently proliferation of uh, ideas, and uh, the movement is getting more traction. And being, let's say, the, uh, if you want the precursors on uh, on behind this architecture for us uh, is uh, very interesting because we can have a say, we can influence also the uh, community, and yeah. we can share our feedback, our our knowledge and our feedback. So that that is something that is is great also of being here. Talk to us a little bit about the relationship between product and engineering in the business. Touched on. Uh, business cases and understanding a user journey is really important. Yeah. Tell me how that or tell us how that ties into the product and engineering relationship that you try and drive here to ensure a really clean customer experience. Yeah, so uh, we already have structured our product team in multiple uh, domains. Okay. So we have the acquisition retention, we have discovery, we have the playback part, we have the TV uh, part and so on. Uh, what we uh, identify inside each single team, uh, product team, uh, that there are some areas that could be mapped also in the architecture. Okay. One of the things that is uh, very well known uh, as uh, uh, low, that is uh, leveraged uh, on top of software architecture, is the convoy's low that is stating 
that you usually design your architecture based on your, um, um, let's say, um, company structure. Yeah. Um, we are trying to, to let's say, uh, reverse that uh, that thing, and okay. we are trying to say, okay, let's focus on how the architecture looks like, yeah. and let's rearrange how we work up to now uh, in a way that could fit the architecture. Okay. Um, and that is was a very interesting exercise because okay. uh, not in many companies you can do that. And I was very lucky in a company like this, there were people keen to to experiment and try this. Um, luckily enough, uh, the, the the thing uh, was uh, is working, uh, okay. and uh, therefore what we have is uh, a product person or a couple of product people uh, dedicated to a specific domain that yeah. are own that are interacting directly with the, with the team, and they are almost uh, embedded with the yeah. team. Okay. So the team has. Uh, mm, that is sometimes it's cross-functional, sometimes it's just a component team that is developing a specific thing because it depends from the domain. Um, they are they have like access uh, to uh, architects, they have access to designers, they have access uh, to product people, and in general they are the hub where the things are happening. Yeah, okay. and it's up to all the people that are external to the teams or they are working closely with the teams to facilitate their job. Okay. Uh, that is not always easy, obviously, uh, but uh, uh, we're trying to do our best because the, I think that the main challenge we, are, we have right now is uh, usually you pass through phases in order to have, okay. uh, let's say, uh, a very performing team. So we are currently passing through those phases uh, and we are, we are trying to do our best to make very smooth this transition. Uh, but we realize that uh, it's, it's challenging. It's not something that uh, um, uh, it works every time uh, with, with like a magic wand. Yeah. You need to try, iterate, make some mistakes, break some eggs, and then you can start to, to make the things Fine. properly. Okay. From um, a product and engineering standpoint for what you can tell us, is there anything new that's on the horizon or is there anything that you want to try and introduce to the teams or try out? So micro front ends two years ago and obviously yeah. the product and engineering relationships fairly different yeah. to what we see in the industry. Are there any other ways that you want to try and introduce things differently to DAZN and continue to break the mold? Uh, yeah, so I think um, uh, overall uh, we are trying to be as cutting edge as possible. Okay. Uh, we are extensively using serverless on the backend, for instance. Yeah. Um, not always, but often we are trying to use that. Um, the, on on microphone end, uh, for instance, there are a few key things that currently we are looking at. Uh, introducing a design system that uh, the challenge there is mainly uh, how far you want to push the design system. Usually you can arrive to have quite complex um, components potentially. Yeah. We need to find the right balance in order to provide the, uh, the possibility and flexibility for the teams to pick their own technology, but at Fine. the same time uh, having some, uh, uh, let's say, um, Common components across across the different uh, uh, microphone ends, and the, the sharing part is the part that I'm uh, uh, let's say most careful on introducing, because when you start to do sharing code, uh, then if you do the wrong abstraction abstraction or the wrong uh, um, uh, let's say uh, assumption around uh, behind the code, yeah. you risk to create more bottlenecks than benefits. Fine. Okay. Touching on technologies, can you run us through some of the technology and tool set that you guys use and why you chose that? Because in today's industry yeah. and day and age, there's bundles of tools 
loads of tech that you can get your hands on and everyone's introducing serverless or thinking about containerization. But I think in true Luca Mezzalira terms, use the right tool yeah. for the right job. So what tool set and tech and why? Okay, so currently we are using, uh, for the API layer, AWS. Okay. Um, we picked that uh, mainly because uh, uh, we have seen uh, uh, that we can we can rely on them so far. Uh, we would like to move uh, in the long term to a multi-cloud strategy. We yep. are still currently discussing which is the best way to, to take all that. It's a huge topic, obviously. It's not going to happen next year, but... Uh, is something that we have to keep in the back of our mind. Okay. Um, we uh, definitely we we believe that serverless could be the answer for many of our problems. Okay. We are not there yet for the type of businesses we're running where we need uh, performance and scalability uh, at the a certain piece. Uh, but definitely there are some things that uh, um, every month could be. Uh, translated to, to serverless potentially, uh, considering the evolution that the serverless has. We are waiting for the AWS reInvent yeah. uh, this uh, December. Uh, quite curious about uh, that, that to see uh, what's going to happen there and what kind of announcement around serverless uh, are happening. But I believe that in, uh, I don't know, two, three years max, we, will, we can think about serverless end-to-end -end. Okay. Uh, and the paradigm would be super interesting because finally you have a shift of mindset where uh, instead of focusing on the infrastructure and picking the the, the, the cool thing uh, like Kubernetes for instance, yeah. uh, you are focusing on the business value Okay. and, and that for me is the big shift okay. uh, because sometimes we are trying uh, to use technologies because uh, they look nice in our city yeah. Yeah. but the reality is uh, we need also to understand, despite that it's nice learning new technology I'm doing in my spare time as well, but uh, is, it, is it creating business value for, for my company or not? Yeah. Because very often I saw a uh, naive thought on, oh, yeah, this, uh, I don't know, this framework uh, doesn't work really. We should rewrite completely the application. But also we need to understand what are the, the KPIs behind that. So what is the benefit that they, our users are going to have more than... Uh, our business is not just a matter of, of money, it's also the, the, the real business is perceived by, by our users. 100%. Okay. Um, touching on a couple of points that you said, uh, first couple of sentences, there are benefits to going multi-cloud yeah. and incorporating some GCP services. What, what benefits do you think DAZN could use with using maybe Google Cloud Platform? Uh, yeah, we currently have, uh, we are evaluating the second platform. Okay. We, don't, uh, we don't know yet if it's GCP or Azure. Uh, but uh, so far, I think the, the, it depends on how we decide to, to take all these things. So if we decide to go with a, a vertical implementation, we can potentially say, let's pick uh, a specific service, like yeah. personalization, for instance. Okay. And we see that the algorithm or the AI provided by GCP or by Azure is uh, right. by far better than AWS. So we can have that specific service in one cloud okay. uh, and having the rest of the application in another cloud and just pick the best tool for, for, for the job. Uh, okay. the, the thing means uh, a lot of work on learning the best practices for each single cloud, learning how they work, what are the, the product, uh, and the services that are available on those platform, uh, but uh, it's definitely more an exercise of education. Okay. Um, in the case that you go, we decide to go with the horizontal, um, let's say duplication of our uh, code, that is 
complicated. Because okay. a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, but it's not a big deal. Uh, you can uh, easily use Kubernetes yeah. and uh, it would work multi-cloud and that's fine. But the problem you have with that is, uh, uh, in my opinion, is that you're losing uh, uh, all the uh, good things that serverless offering is fine. providing uh, uh, to you. Because if it's true, you, you are vendor locked by a specific cloud provider, but okay. at the same time, you have a huge advantage that you deliver and ship very, very fast. Okay. Um, and uh, you don't have to care about the auto-scaling strategy behind that. Uh, you really need to just focus on, on what you uh, really care. So that's okay. the business value that you create to, uh, to your users. Okay. That's useful to know. Yeah. What, what part of the architecture would you say that you're most proud of? Over the four years, what are you most proud of, or what what are you and your team most proud of? I think uh, this transition of well, the first thing definitely would be uh, the the, the delivery in uh, such a short amount of time of all those platforms yeah. uh, in the first version. That was uh, amazing effort by all the team, uh, and uh, honestly, I have to thank all the guys that I work with for this because it was really a huge push okay. by everyone. Uh, secondly, is uh, uh, definitely uh, this migration to the new version of the zone. That is the second time I'm building the zone, and uh, obviously I learned a lot in the in the first time. Yeah. The second one is uh, um, even better because uh, we had uh, the possibility to share some thought and some, yeah. some opinion, taking let's say more in a more relaxed way the the uh, decision of building certain things in certain ways, and it's still changing this thing, it's still okay. evolving. The nice thing of um, what we are doing is that we are trying to take the decision at the uh, last meaningful moment, more than having a big plan that they, we designed six months uh, before. And then at the end, in six months, the business changed that yeah, yeah, much. Yeah. That okay. won't, we won't be able to cope up with the thing or the design is completely broken. Uh, so I think uh, um, the migration to microservices, the introduction of microfrontends, uh, is definitely uh, we 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 the, the big delivery of the zone one point zero are the, the three things that they're really proud of. Okay, what what do you think for the world of architecture and modernizing architecture continuously? What patterns, ways of thinking do you think are next in mm. terms of what the industry could see, mm. or if you've seen any of that, yeah. or seen people that uh, talk a lot in the community or blog a lot on Medium? What are they saying might come to the forefront and we should all watch out for? Um, so reactive uh, architectures are something that we need to keep an eye on it. Okay. There are some, uh, on front end, there are some interesting libraries uh, around that, like RxJS, for instance. Okay. On the back end, uh, one of the things that I'm researching, big passion about reactive programming uh, is the actor model architecture. Okay. Uh, that is implemented by several languages. Uh, main one, the most prominent one is uh, Akka with, with Scala or Java or yep. uh, uh, Golang or Rust. Uh, there are quite a few, let's say, languages that currently are leveraging that. Pretty interesting. Erlang as well. Um, the other thing is, uh, uh, I think the architect, uh, architects uh, nowadays, they should have a strong mix of, of skills that are not only technical skills. Okay. Technical, I think uh, you, we really need to have a, a vertical, we, we need to have a T-shape uh, uh, version of our skills. Fine. So we need to be very vertical in a specific thing where we are very strong, we are 
competent on that part, but we need really to uh, decrease the things that we don't know that we don't know. Okay. We need we need to know more what we don't know and be aware of that. So the moment that uh, is facing a problem, we know where to search. Okay. And that is uh, a very complicated skill because it means that we need to read a lot, engage a lot, being open mind. Yeah, uh, it takes a lot of introspection yes. and being reflective yes. and understanding what you're good at and what yes. you're not good at. And on top of that, also uh, to a certain extent, is uh, always pushing you towards learning new things and maybe not give for granted certain assumptions that you have in mind. Okay. And that, I think, is another important skill. The last skill is the soft skills one. Fine. I think nowadays it's not anymore, um, let's say, the way how we, we architects were, were working in the past was having a highway tower where they decide everything quite detached from, from the ground. Nowadays, I think it's uh, completely opposite. So we yeah. need to be on the ground uh, with the developers, talking with them, understanding what's going on. But it's not only from the technical perspective, also from the uh, communication flow perspective, uh, how they interact with people, yeah. um, and uh, and all of those all those activities are not something that are uh, let's say that is so happening very often. Uh, but uh, obviously, we're trying to do our part here. Those are, in my opinion, the, the key things that nowadays we need to look at and aim for, for the yeah. future. So uh, even to a point of it's not necessarily hard skills that we'll look for yeah. in a year, two years, it will be more soft skills, culture, collaboration, yeah. how we work with teams. Yeah, because for me, the hard skills are, are for granted. So if you are doing the role of architect, yeah. you need to have a certain uh, level of experience and uh, you need to have your, your T-shapes. The shape, and uh, you really need to be uh, uh, strong on the technical sides. Um, otherwise, uh, it, I struggle to see uh, associated the label uh, to to a person. Yeah. So that is for me a, a given. Uh, the the problem is what else? Because in the past, maybe we have like some genius architect that created amazing architecture, yeah. but they weren't understood by anyone. Yeah. And yeah, that was a huge problem. Yeah, it's not just having an amazing, uh, uh, let's say, architecture, an amazing technical uh, mind, but also how to communicate with that, how to lead when there are problems. Yeah. Um, admit that you you don't have the answer for everything. Okay, and and that's for me is we are human beings. We we are not machines for yeah. now, and uh, and it's it's right that you have your opinion and you're opinionated and you create your own way, but at the same time. Definitely, there would be someone that could be a junior developer or, uh, I don't know, a senior developer or principal engineer, whatever, that is pushing you to see the same problem from a different perspective, a different angle that you didn't think of. Yeah. Because having two, three, 40 different uh, angles for the same problem could be very beneficial. And yeah. you shouldn't turn it down. You should just yeah. embrace, analyze, and be analytical enough to don't get in love about only your ideas. And that that's how I'm seeing companies calibrate talent yeah. at the moment is go away, take home an exercise or come in and draw something on the whiteboard, but we'll pull it apart and we'll think about doing something different. And you need to be honest enough and talk about why it could be different, respect someone else's point of view and run through what else you could have worked on, why, how, where, understood. Yeah. Okay. Um, talk to us a little bit about maybe what we can expect from DZone over the next 12 months. 
yeah. and say what you're able to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, so um, on the technical side of the zone, I think uh, would be a very exciting uh, 2020. Okay. Uh, we want to be in more countries. Uh, we want uh, uh, to, let's say, improve the quality of our service. Uh, we want to reach uh, way more users. Uh, engage with uh, uh, new partners, but overall, I think uh, the main challenge would be um, getting, uh, let's say, our service better and better. Fine. One of the main goals that I have for next year would be having full resilience across the four different AWS regions. Okay. Uh, that for me that will, will put us in a, in a very nice spot because then we can really decide how we want to shape the next part of our journey. Okay. Um, and uh, if we're capable to, to, to do that, and I'm pretty sure we will, um, it's just a matter of time now, uh, we will allow us to have, let's say, some uh, uh, interesting thought for 2021 okay. uh, and onwards where we can really redirect traffic, analyze, uh, redirect traffic not only for uh, latency or for uh, issues that are happening in a specific region, yeah. but also if we want to redirect traffic to see how it behaves uh, under load a specific region or a new service or whatever okay. it is that currently we are not able to. Um, I know that the, the journey uh, will take uh, a bit longer than expected, but okay. I, I truly believe that would be our uh, final goal. Okay. Uh, how do you think from a tech perspective you guys will try and stay ahead of competition? I think uh, um, there are several activities that we are doing in the zone uh, that I truly believe that are very helpful. Okay. Uh, one is going to conferences. We have... Uh, yeah created, I think, a really nice um, group of speakers that are going to conferences. We are often invited to conferences as well. We are sponsoring conferences uh, around Europe. Um, and uh, and that I saw when I, when we started, no one knew uh, the zone at yeah. all. I remember in, in London, it was we, we struggled a lot of, to explain what, how, even how to say the Zoom. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty funny. Yeah, I know. But um, what I suggested is let's go out and, and speak with engineers. Yeah. Let's, let's sponsor. It's not going to, turn, to come back immediately. Yep. In the long term, it will come back. Now, we don't have to do any, anything no. in London. We just need to call a candidate. We say, we are the Zoom. We are doing this. And we are looking for you. And they know already who we are. Okay. I saw a complete change on uh, uh, on the brand awareness yeah. uh, overall in London, but the same in Amsterdam and any other place yeah. that we are hiring at the moment, uh, despite that we don't have the service in those countries. Yeah. The um, other thing is fine, I think, is uh, uh, on, on providing the flexibility and the freedom to our developers yeah. to uh, suggest, innovate, encourage them to do that, facilitating their, their work, uh, but creating also a, a place where people can talk and yeah. can express themselves. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that every time we are going to change direction, yeah. but having a genuine discussion where everyone is transparent uh, about the goal and uh, what they're trying to achieve and how, uh, I think can be only helpful for, for the company, but for ourselves as well. Yeah. For anyone that's watching, I truly, truly believe that helping build an engineering culture and brand awareness is massively, massively important. I don't think that you'll see rewards in the first six months, no. a year, to be honest. But if you can start to reap rewards long term, and there's actually a catalogue of information that you guys have worked on over the last 12 months, that actually tells the story in itself that I find yeah. that people can actually look through Medium and see some evidence of what you've built. 
and then that starts to paint a picture of okay maybe they've evolved or maybe they're working on this or a couple of points here are interesting yes good okay um if someone was to come and interview here at DAZN, listening to some of the engineering problems that you guys have got or think about, concurrency, scalability, what else should someone consider when thinking about coming here to an interview? But I, I think, uh, um, technically speaking, uh, there is definitely, it depends which role they are looking for, but okay. as a developer... Yeah. Technically speaking, uh, excuse me. Yeah, uh, <coughs> it depends uh, on uh, front and back end. On back end, uh, I think having a knowledge of serverless, having a knowledge on, a deep knowledge on AWS and cloud in general, uh, design patterns on microservices uh, definitely are helpful. Uh, on top of, uh, obviously we're using Node and Golang, so yeah. those are the, the two key things for us. Uh, on the front end, uh, I think uh, it, it's interesting on the Zoom because usually you work on, on web and, okay. uh, and uh, every time that you write code, it is just working fine because we have uh, amazing quad-core MacBook Pros that are yeah. dealing uh, with, uh, with the thing. On TVs, uh, instead, it's completely different. Okay. So you have to wait each single dependency that you put inside uh, your code base. You need to wait the algorithm that you're putting there. So it's, in my opinion, uh, probably I'm a bit old school, but uh, is where usually engineers shines, okay. uh, good engineers shines. Yeah. Uh, and having the possibility to test this uh, by yourself, I think it's a huge opportunity. I work, uh, I, I'm coming from uh, the, the old good days of, of a Flash platform, yeah. and therefore there we were used to do write almost once yeah. uh, and deploying many devices. I have Fine. a fortune on working okay. on embedded devices and other places. And, and this uh, taught me how to make uh, the code efficient for those devices. Okay. Uh, and and it, nowadays, I think it's very difficult to find places where you can test your your skills on writing good code. Okay. Uh, and this is definitely a place where uh, good code will shine on on uh, devices that are, by the way, watched um, the most by our users. Because currently, yeah. for us, TV platforms are one of the most important platforms we have. I was going to say there's a shift in consumer mindset at the yes. moment as to how people uh, get their content. And quite a lot of it's mobile, tablet. Yes. So it makes sense. Okay. Is there anything else that is pressing that you'd quite like to share with us about DAZN, London JS? We didn't throw in Luke as a part of London JS. He actually runs the community here in London. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to throw in and talk to us about that you think is really useful for someone listening to this, whether they're junior, mid, senior, regardless of seniority yeah. or title, but um, anything. Yeah, I have a message more for uh, uh, for all the engineers that are out there. I, I think uh, in general, don't be afraid to, uh, let's say, engage with, with people when you go to conference with speakers or with other attendees. Uh, try to be involved in the community. Community is such a great place where with nice people that push your boundaries and uh, allow you to look at the same thing with different perspective. Uh, I highly encourage to to join any uh, community, either uh, my community, but there are many, plenty of JavaScript community in London. It's not a competition. It's just uh, a, a way to share our passion. And I really think uh, if you are not uh, engaged enough, think about that because you will find a lot of good surprises. That's a really good message. And I second that. 
Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.